Lord Jesus Christ, you have the words of eternal life. Lord, we praise you for this beautiful day, Lord. Open our hearts that we might hear from you, that we might hear words from you. In your name we pray, amen. amen. Well, it's good to be back. Uh, I was uh, out last week on a fishing trip, one that was scheduled for months ago, but got rescheduled because of COVID, because that's what happens these days. Um, I, I just want to say this, because I'm self-conscious about it. People might notice it. I've got a really weird sunburn on the top of my bald head. <laughs> um, so anyway, I just want to name that, get it out there. If you ever have like fears of speaking in public, um, just go fishing for three days in the middle of Montana with a weird hat on and um, come back and speak in front of a group of people with uh, this weird shape on your head. Anyway, some of you are gonna be like, can you please turn around, Rick? I'm not gonna turn around. <laughs> intentionally for a while. Anyway, uh, the children are in with the service with us, or in here in the service with us today. A special welcome to you kids. Um, I would love to see from you this morning, if you could draw a picture, if you have a pen, uh, maybe your, your folks have a pen in their um, uh, bags uh, for you to borrow. If you could draw a picture of that second paragraph from Hebrews. So in that paragraph of Hebrews, the author shows us this like glimpse of heaven. It's like this curtain gets pulled back. And there's a lot of really interesting images in there of what that looks like. So draw a picture of that. Uh, share it with your, those around you and then share it with me. I'd love to see that after the service. So today is Baptism Sunday. And it has been a while uh, since we have used this lovely feeding trough. Uh, was anyone here last time we used this sucker? A couple of you. Yeah, a few of you were baptized in this. So we, last time we used this was back at the community center. Uh, so we thought this would kind of help keep us humble, help us remind us of our origins in the community center, you know. But also we feel that, you know, if our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, uh, could be born in a stable and placed in a manger, which is a feeding trough, then what better way is there to celebrate new birth and new life uh, than, than following suit, you know, than following after Jesus Christ. So we think this is a great practice, and, and this will not be the last time. So we're going to be looking specifically at Hebrews 12, uh, that passage that I just asked the kids to draw, and, and adults, you could certainly uh, draw pictures from that as well if you'd like. Um, but I think that this passage is just wonderful for Baptism Sunday. You know, may, and I'm going to be gearing this, talking specifically to those five individuals who are going to be baptized uh, this morning. The rest of you are more than welcome to listen in. Uh, if you've been baptized, I hope that you're encouraged by this. Uh, if you haven't been baptized, the water's warm. Uh, come hop up in line. We can have a little talk and, and uh, hop on in. It'll be beautiful. Um, but this passage from Hebrews is written to ancient Jewish Christians. And these Christians are questioning whether or not they want to continue in their walk with Jesus. They're weighing whether or not this is worth it. They're weighing whether or not what they left behind is worth leaving behind. And the last couple of weeks, if you've been here, in fact, Father Chris last week talked about endurance. I talked about endurance the week before. So you'll see that enduring in the faith is a common theme here that we're going to be picking up again. But it's likely that these ancient Jews have other people in their lives who are taunting them who are teasing them, who are saying, this isn't worth it. You know, and the criticism is that they've walked away from the Jewish faith. The criticism on them is that they've walked away from those majestic and mighty features of the Jewish tradition in favor for this crucified rebel who came from Nazareth of all places. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, no, no, no. 
We have not abandoned anything. In fact, all those ancient promises, all those ancient practices, all those ancient hopes and traditions of our faith, of the Jewish people, all those things have their yes in Jesus Christ. It is in Jesus, when when we place our hope in Jesus, we inherit all of those ancient traditions and treasures. And that's what I want to be talking about today, is what is it that the Christian inherits from Jesus uh, and, and the kingdom? So that's what we're going to be talking today. We're going to be focusing on these verses from 22 through 24. And here, like I said, this is where the curtain is being pulled back, and we're getting a glimpse into the heavenly realms. We see this beautiful inheritance that every Christian receives, and how the offerings of the world don't even come close to this. But first, uh, we want to do a little lesson on Jewish poetry. I really struggled whether or not to do this, to talk about a chiastic structure. You'll see that diagram that's in there. I was like, I'm gonna lose people immediately. If that's you, if you've already tuned out, please forgive me. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you when to come back in, you know, but I think this is super cool and I hope that you do too. So uh, in Jewish poetry, parallel statements are a big deal. It's, it's part of the beauty of uh, Jewish poetry. So for example, in, in Psalm 46, verse seven, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. You can probably even hear how those statements sort of talk to each other and form one another and dance with one another. So that sort of gets uh, amplified in this passage. So a chiastic structure is when parallel statements are nested within one another, and they build. And so those parallels speak to each other. So you'll see there in the diagram, A speaks to A prime, B and the B below it, C below that, and then D is kind of the climax of this. So nested parallel statements. Are you tracking with me? Okay, great, because someone before the service was like, Rick, is this a seven-point sermon? And I said, no, it's still a four-point sermon, but it's going to be really quick four points, okay? So, so bear with me here. Um, great, so like I said, this is a portrait of the beautiful inheritance that we have as Christians. So first, let's talk about the A's in this. And you can maybe even look ahead and kind of guess what those, those two A's are. So the first statement that we read in this paragraph is the writer says that you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God. And that pairs with the last statement that you've arrived at, which is you have come to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So the city of God and the sprinkled blood. So what is your first inheritance? It is it, friends, that you are inheriting an eternal home, an eternal home. God calls this a city. He says this is the, the heavenly city, the heavenly Jerusalem. And a city, we've, we've talked about this a couple of times over the last few weeks, um, but the city is a place of safety, a place of protection. It's also the place of a, a heavenly, complex civilization. Sometimes we have these images of heaven just like sitting on a cloud and like singing songs. It's a city, the Bible tells us. There's a lot of activity here. There's a lot of um, celebration of, of, of what the cultures have crafted Um, In fact, in Revelation 21, we see images of of kings bringing their cultural artifacts into the city. And so that's what we're being reminded of here in Hebrews as well. There is holy work to be done here in the city. There's eternal exploration of creation. There's eternal celebration of culture. There's eternal joy of beauty that is happening here in the city of God. But what does the city of God have to do with the blood of Jesus? What does the city of God have to do with the blood of Jesus? 
Actually, let's, let me ask a different question. If you were to go out the back of the church here and go outside and turn around and look at the building, what color are those doors? Red, yes, they're red. That is very intentional. Uh, it is a tradition of the church to paint the entrance to the sanctuary, to paint those doors red. It is a reminder to us that the only way we enter into God's home is through the blood of Jesus Christ. That is the only way that we come into God's home. We don't come because we've got good intentions in our heart. We don't come because we're polite and kind people. We're not, we don't come in here because we're mostly good than bad, you know. We're only here because of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. It is his blood that paves the way for us to come in here. And those doors are a little faded back there. I love this church. We're very grateful. Uh, we only paid a dollar for this building. If you haven't heard that story yet, it's amazing. But if anyone wants to paint those doors a new bright red, talk to me or Bill, who's our, our chair of the parish council. Uh, we'll, we'll try to make that happen. Um, where was I? I didn't plan on saying that. So the first inheritance that we get uh, through the waters of baptism is a home. Thanks be to Jesus Christ. So second, let's talk about uh, B and uh, the part below it, so part B. So the first part in, the, in uh, verse 22, we read that we come to innumerable angels in festal gathering. And then that pairs with the statement in verse 22, that we come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. So what is our second inheritance? You inherit the company of heaven. All these um, angelic beings led by Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus is our mediator. He is our advocate. He is our friend. And this passage earlier spoke of Moses, who used to be the mediator. And what did he do when he approached God? He trembled. He quaked. He was scared. But Jesus of Nazareth does not tremble because he is the perfect one. He is without sin. He approaches his Father in heaven with no fear or trembling whatsoever. He is a perfect Son of God with full confidence, comes to the throne in, in the pure adoration of his Father. And then he turns around, looking over his shoulder and says, come with me, follow me, come here. I've paved the way. I'm your mediator. Jesus says that, not this guy. You don't want me as your mediator. Jesus says that. He says, come with me, follow me. I will bring you and introduce you to my God and Father. But Jesus is not alone. There are innumerable angels who are in this festal celebration. They are feasting with one another. It is a joy and a celebration that is taking place there in heaven. The angels are celebrating Christ's work and they're the gathering of his redeemed people. So every single Sunday here at Restoration, we remind ourselves of this truth. Uh, there at the table, our liturgy of the table, we say we're joining alongside angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. And then later we say, Alleluia, therefore let us celebrate the feast. You see, friends, when you choose to follow Jesus, you inherit the entire company of heaven with Jesus as your advocate and the angels celebrating alongside you. I've said this before, but I wish that we could just have that curtain peeled back again and just see the cloud of, of angels and, and other heavenly witnesses who are worshiping alongside us uh, every single morning. So let's talk about the seas now. You see, we're sort of narrowing in. We're getting closer to the middle of this paragraph, aren't we? So verse 23 says that you have come to the assembly of the firstborn. 
So Jesus is the firstborn. So this is, he's the firstborn from the dead, the Bible tells us. So this is the assembly of those who've been claimed by Jesus. And that couples later with, you have come to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. So the assembly of the firstborn pairs with the righteous made perfect. So these are two different perspectives. Again, these are parallel statements describing the same reality. This is the same group of people. These are the saints who have gone before us. Those men and women, our spiritual mothers and fathers who have gone before us, who have been washed by Jesus, endured to the end, and entered into his presence. And so in other words, the third thing that we inherit as followers of Jesus is a family. You inherit a family, spiritual mothers and fathers. And when you pass from this world into the next, you will be welcomed by them. And so uh, this morning, uh, as we celebrate the sacrament of baptism, uh, there's one of my favorite parts is when the pastor turns to the congregation and says, will you do everything in your power to uphold those who are being baptized? And then you respond by saying, we will. Our prayer book just says it once, but I put it in there twice because I think it's great uh, for everyone to say, we will, we will. You know, and for those being baptized, know that it's not just these people who are agreeing to walk with you. They're saying this on behalf of Christians who aren't able to make it here today. They're saying it alongside uh, faithful Christians in other traditions, at other churches. They're saying this alongside Christians who've, who've already passed into glory before us and Christians who are coming after us. The church is your family, and they are a part of your inheritance as a Christian. They're welcoming you into the household of faith. You inherit a family. So what does the world have to offer us in response to some of these things? Because surely the, the world offers a home of sorts. We have uh, uh, advocates and friends in this home. We, we have earthly um, families and whatnot. Well, the world does invite you to make your own perfect home. Physically, uh, you achieve that according to our culture by shopping, right, and upgrading your stuff. You know, if you buy enough stuff, if, if you upgrade enough stuff, if your living room is cute enough, if your basement is clean enough, uh, then you've made it. Uh, that was a knock against myself, by the way. I wasn't looking at Molly when I intentionally when I said that. Yeah, that would put me in trouble. <laughs> but our world wants you to buy your, yourself, into, buy your way into the perfect home. And even if you can't achieve that through money, then maybe you can digitally. You know, we've talked before about uh, the metaverse, you know, this, this opportunity to sort of step into the digital world where you can curate every single pixel of your perfect digital life. What is that but an escape out of this creation, the world, this home that God is giving us? In both of those situations, either online or by purchasing things, the lie is the same, and the lie is that you are in control. When in reality, both of those things enslave you to the algorithm of Silicon Valley. You know, you might think that you want this couch when actually you've kind of been shaped and formed to want that couch. You're succumbing to the social trend to want that couch. Our world tells us, or our world version of home is that you are what you buy, and you buy what we tell you to buy. <laughs> well, you are, friend, friends, you are made for heaven as your home where evil and selfishness and manipulation is named and purged and put away forever, where we are encouraged by Christ to explore the beauty of this creation and to celebrate the fullness of what it means to be truly and wonderfully and in a holy way how to be human. So what about family, right? So families in this culture, I, I don't think it takes much to argue that families are in a dire spot these days. 
Uh, families are, are, you know, especially in light of the pandemic, are divided or isolated. Uh, you're kind of put on your own. There's a lot of pressure that needs to take place in order for you to like successfully um, have a family. And just to be clear, I'm not specifically meaning um, households that have uh, parents and 2.5 kids. Uh, I know some of you are housemates with one another. That's a household, right? Some of you live on your own, right? Well, it is difficult to do so these days because gatherings, families are under attack. It's not hard to argue that it's simply hard to be family these days. My point is that every family needs a family. Every family needs a family because even in your household, there is not enough wisdom and maturity and depth to be able to survive uh, all the attacks of this culture. Your family needs a family. If you do have kids, your kids need to be able to come here and see other families who are committed to the same values and stuff that you are. They need to see other adults in their lives who are worshiping Jesus just alongside mom and dad, which is so great and one of the reasons why we intentionally have children here in the service with us on occasion. Because it is important for all of us to know that our family alone cannot be a family. We are family together. And it is a reminder of those great cosmic um, realities, those heavenly spiritual realities of the wider family that we have through Jesus Christ. Every family needs a family. So this brings us to that final point, the final inheritance that we receive. It's the crown jewel of this passage. It's the middle of this passage. And it is, in verse 23, we're told that you come to God, the judge of all. The Christian comes to God. I don't even know what I can say about that. How do I say that you receive God himself? What a profound mystery to say that through a metal trough with water, the authority of the church, the commissioning of Jesus Christ, you're able to approach God. Not just God, God the judge, it says. And that's important to point out because this God is not different than that God that we read in the first paragraph. This God is holy. This God is overwhelming. This God is unapproachable. He is the judge who will deal with all evil, sin, and darkness inside of our hearts and outside of our hearts. This passage says, as it concludes at the end, God is a consuming fire. But as one who has has been made clean by Jesus Christ who has been cleansed through his blood, who has been invited by him as, his, as your mediator, we can approach God. We can carry our burdens to God. We can come forward to him. We can just kneel in his presence in silence and just behold his glory and just dwell with him. And one of these days, that veil will be pulled back and we will see him. And that'll cause us to tremble <laughs> but we will know that Jesus Christ has paved the way. So Alec, Sarah, Matt, Mary, and Ruth, know that when you come into the waters today, where's Matt sitting? I haven't seen Matt. There you go, hey. (laughs) When you come into the waters today, you are receiving a home. You are receiving the company of heaven. You are inheriting a family, and you are inheriting God himself. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for being our mediator. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for all the amazing, beautiful gifts that you've given us purely because of your grace.
Lord, I pray for those who are coming forward to the waters of baptism, Lord. Move in their hearts afresh this morning. Remind them of these gospel truths that you love them and claim them. Lord, may all of us here this morning be um, further encouraged in our own walk with you. Help us to love you more, Lord. It's in your name that we pray all of these things. Amen.